Um, so hello everyone and welcome to the 10th session now in our Accessibility Insights series where AbilityNet's Head of Digital Inclusion, Robin Christofferson, hosts a monthly online chat with individuals who are each working to improve digital accessibility and digital inclusion. And this month he's chatting to Emma Pratt-Richens, who is Senior Research Engineer, Accessibility Specialist at the BBC. Um, I'm Annie Mannion and I'm Digital Communications Manager at AbilityNet and I'll be running you through today's session. Uh, so just to go through a few bits of housekeeping, um, we have live captions provided today by MyClearText and you can turn the captions on using the CC option on the control panel. Um, additional captions are available via streamtext.net forward slash player question mark event equals AbilityNet. Um, and slides are available at slideshare.net forward slash AbilityNet and also on our website at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash insights dash BBC. Um, and if you have any technical issues and you leave, need to leave early, uh, don't worry, you'll receive an email in a couple of days time with the recording, the transcripts and the slides. And then depending on how you joined the webinar, um, you'll find a Q&A window if you want to ask Emma or Robin any questions, do drop those into the Q&A area for them to address. And they'll do that, they'll do that after today's session um, in a follow-up blog on our website. And that's at forward slash insights dash BBC. And then we also have a feedback survey that you'll be directed to at the end, which invites you to tell us about any future topics you'd like us to cover in our webinars. So that's all from me. And um, now over to Robin and Emma. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Annie. Hi, Emma. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. The BBC have been so active in the area of accessibility over the years. So um, it was brilliant that we've got you on. And uh, you've been with the Beeb for quite a while now. Does that sound impolite? I have. No, hopefully I have. Um, over 15 years now. <laughs> <laughs> Not always so, in accessibility, but yeah. Yep. I had over the weekend um, lots of people congratulating me on LinkedIn for my 25th anniversary with AbilityNet and I'd, I didn't oh. even realise, but yeah, so yeah, time flies <laughs> when you're having fun. It does, it does. <laughs> Brilliant. So um, we always start off with the same question. What uh, beverage have you got that will help you get through this ordeal? I've got uh, just a cup of tea here, nice hot cup of tea. Yeah, well, I, I've opted for a Tigger mug, a uh, little nod to my outgoing boss, um, and I have a hot cordial. I, I don't drink tea and coffee, but I went for a hot nice. cordial. So. Very wise. And that would be Gareth, would it? Indeed. <laughs> Take yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> you want to do that. Have to do it in front of me. Anyone who knows yeah. Gareth, Ford Williams, I think will will appreciate that kind of, um, yeah. yeah he it. did a great talk all about Tigger. <laughs> His ADHD alter ego. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, great. Um, so uh, again, another question that I usually open with, which is about how much accessibility has changed, if it has, in your opinion, say over the last 10 years, what do you think are the main changes that you've seen? I know you haven't been in, in an accessibility role for all that time. So maybe yeah. in the last four years, but you know, things well, are changing I, all the time. Like I said, I, I've been at the BBC about 15 years. I actually started off as a web developer, a front-end web developer. Um, so very much dealing with um, what the user interacts with. 
Um, and I had been in a development role for probably five or six years, even before that. So I've been in the industry a long time. Um, and I actually came from a council. So I worked at a, at a government council when the laws came in around the government councils being accessible and making sure their websites were accessible. I was working on a council website at the time. So I actually brought my interest in accessibility with me to the BBC. Um, and that was one of the things I think helped me to get the job. Um, that I had an interest in that um, because it was something that they were thinking about. Um, I think that is one of the things that has definitely changed. But when I joined the BBC, it was very much the remit of the front end developers. You know, nobody else was really thinking about it. Um, uh, and I, I met Gareth way back then because he was the person coming in and asking the questions about that kind of stuff. Um, but it was very much kind of um, in that kind of front end arena. Uh, was where that was getting talked about. Um, I specialised into accessibility about six years ago, seven years ago, something like that. And um, having worked in children's, BBC Children's for quite a long time, um, where accessibility really matters mm -hmm. because children have a whole bunch of kind of uh, different accessibility needs from adults. And so you do have to really think about it because some of our audience don't read particularly well yet. They're still learning. They're still learning how to understand the interfaces but they're not scared to explore. Um, so those were things that we could kind of uh, be very mindful of in, in the interfaces that we developed for them. Um, so I brought all of that with me as I specialized into accessibility six, seven years ago. Um, and I've definitely seen it change from that um, kind of very much the concern of the people who were building that front end. Um, these days, it's the concern of a whole team. So. Uh, right from the people who are creating the requirements to the designers, to the developers, right through to the people who are testing, even through into the editorial teams who are adding in the content and the things that they're thinking about. Um, so I, I've seen that change happen um, in the time that I've been at the BBC. Um, and it's a really positive change because it means accessibility gets thought about much, much earlier instead of being retrofit after something is built. Absolutely. And that culture shift is key, isn't it? Because, you know, you have to think about it at every stage in the process and in the tools that you choose, etc. I remember going into the BBC, it must have been 15 years ago, and every, you know, accessibility was, was obviously very highly uh, prioritised to the extent that they were grappling with Flash-based CBeebies games that, um, yep. you know, they wanted to make as accessible as possible. We've moved on now, though, haven't we, to the likes of HTML5 and much more yeah. natively delivered content. Yep, yeah, and still trying to make them accessible. Yeah, I used to work with Ian Hamilton back when they were oh, yeah. trying to make something special, have a really accessible game. Um, so I would you say that, that, sorry, going native is the, um, you know, has been a massive jump in uh, helping accessibility move forward and that the tools have improved, the browsers have improved, etc. Um. There are definitely still things that you have to consciously think about, even with going Absolutely. native. You know, it's very easy to build it and build it not accessible. Um, but I think you've got a lot more capability there to make it accessible. You just have to keep, you still have to think about it. Um, it's kind of interesting. Flash had got to a point where actually you could make it quite accessible, mm -hmm. but you had to think about it. You had to build it in that way. And then of course, you know, various things put a nail in that coffin and, and it's pretty much gone now from usage but the native things those same things that you had to think about you still have to think about those things for the native stuff um if you're using canvas that's not accessible that's as much of a black box as flash was 
So you have to think about how you um, create, uh, I guess, ghost elements uh, that can still be interacted with um, by people like yourself who are using screen readers um, that then interact back with the thing that's visible on the canvas so that it's still accessible. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And other technologies that had lots of promise like Silverlight didn't really stick either. But yeah, I'm really glad that a lot of it is already delivered in the browser and that, that you know, they there have been great developments in making sure that those are inclusive. Because yes, you're absolutely right. The tools are one thing and it's how you wield them that um, yeah. is important. So I don't think the jobs become any less um, simple in delivering accessible content. There's still a lot of um, knowledge and commitment and resources that have to uh, be employed but yeah at least the tools that we're using um tools are definitely good definitely. um and actually i think knowledge is possibly um the real key in, in delivering it is making sure that people know what they should be doing and um, i think the wider that knowledge can go the earlier that people can start learning about that stuff it then just becomes built into what they do and it becomes natural and they would you know why would you ever build it any other way i don't know Absolutely. I'd love to see more of that coming back into, you know, kind of degree level and, and earlier education um, yeah. so that people aren't just learning it on the job. Yeah, we did a module on accessibility in our, you know, computer science course and it was a, you know, one lecture or something like that. I hear that a yeah. lot. I, I do that one lecture for one of the universities and I just think it's just not enough. It's like three hours and that's all I have to tell them as much as I can about accessibility. And if that's all they get in four years at university it's just it's not enough yeah, absolutely so yeah. something that's really focused people's minds and helped unlock uh, budgets and increase prioritization uh, priorities is the public sector bodies accessibility regulations ps bar um which semi applies to the bbc but we've certainly seen a massive uptake in interest and activity in wanting to be compliant, wanting to be uh, accessible to everyone, uh, particularly in, in um, higher education, for example, and local authorities. But yeah, so how has that impacted the BBC in recent months and years? Yeah, so it's an interesting one. The, the, the newer regulations um, at the EU and also uh, in the UK um, that are particularly around um, kind of public sector um, spaces, so they definitely are affecting education. Um, they're affecting councils, they're affecting government bodies, um, NHS police, all that kind of organisations. Um, and I guess anybody who's making stuff for them needs to be very aware of that. Um, but those regulations actually don't apply to public service broadcasters. Um, and one of the reasons that they don't is because there's other regulations that do apply. Mm -hmm. And, and um, for the BBC in particular, the charter that we have um, and the policies that we have already include all that stuff. Um, so to some extent, there's an exception because our own um, kind of policies and, and charter and things are already expecting a lot more than the regulations are expecting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, have, I mean, I, sus I strongly suspect that because of the shape that you are in, that, you know, the, the was when it was enshrined in UK law, there wasn't um, the same, you know, uh, it wasn't applicable as much to your organization as to other in quotes public sector bodies so yeah absolutely but has it have you seen an impact in um you know third party suppliers providers um in the general kind of 
discussions that are being had around accessibility? Um, there's definitely more conversation happening than, than might have been happening before. And I think there's definitely a greater expectation, um, you know, when we're procuring and things like that, but that definitely is. And um, certainly the policy that we've recently uh, brought in um, is requiring that now of, of procurement. Um, you know, so anything we're procuring in for staff to use, we're expecting that to be accessible for our staff. I think, I think that kind of, that's definitely one of the things that's changed is, is that kind of diversity of staff is something that's getting talked about a lot more now and about how you make your place of work more accessible to people, not just the thing that you're producing for other people to use. Um, and that's definitely something the BBC are um, kind of really looking at um, uh, a lot at the moment um, is about how to make the place a better place for more diverse staff to work. Yeah, we get a lot of discussions around prioritisation and people definitely prioritise customer facing or externally facing uh, digital mm. properties before they decide to look at their internal applications, etc. So, yeah, there is a challenge there as well. We had Caroline on last month and she you know definitely wants to make sure that um, disabled employees the the value that they bring to organizations is truly treasured alongside a commitment to making sure that products and services to you know external customers are are inclusive as well so that nicely brings me on to my next question which is around covid and speaking of changes in recent times and you know what would you, on a personal level and as an organisation, as the BBC, do you think, you know, what has the impact been of COVID, of home working? Uh, talking of the workplace, um, it's at home for a lot of us now. Um, you know, what's what's the impact been for you? Well, I'm certainly working from home 100% of the time now instead of just some of the time. Um, I, I was already very fortunate to be working in a team that were quite flexible. Um, uh, I... I can definitely vouch um, for the benefits of working with uh, people who come with different lived experiences from yourself. Um, Cause I do work with a number of people who um, have different disabilities um, in different ways. Um, and I can vouch for, for the different points of view and the value that they bring to the work that they do and the work that we as a team do. Um, I can definitely vouch for that. Um, <sighs> So we already had quite a flexible way of working to allow for people to, um, within our team, um, to allow for, for people to work in a way that worked for them. Um, and so having everybody working from home 100% of the time has just kind of validated that, I think, um, that, that it's a perfectly okay way to work. Um, and people are just as capable of doing their job and can be trusted to do their job from home. Um, I was quite fortunate, actually. I was working quite closely uh, with a different team, um, supporting them um, for quite a while. And they've been really spearheading, even before the pandemic, had been really spearheading, um, kind of working remotely and working across multiple sites. Um, and so they'd already kind of figured out some good practice by trying things out. Um, and they've been, that good practice that they kind of pulled together and figured out has been really beneficial for a lot of other teams across the BBC um, as we've moved into uh, working from home in the pandemic. Um, so, you know, uh, e even just little things like um, if some of you are all in the office and there are two or three people who are online somewhere else for a Zoom meeting, everybody just 
is in the Zoom meeting, they're not sitting in the office with one person on a screen. Everybody sits at their desk on their screen. Yeah. Um, so they'd establish things like that, that, you know, if you were going to be in a Zoom meeting and some people were remote, then everybody was acting like they were remote, whether they were in the office or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that were kind of good practices that they had figured out. Um, I think for people who are disabled, just that extra flexibility. I think people have been much more willing to flex around people's home life and children and care demands and, you know, um, deliveries and all all the kind of day-to-day things that you have to deal with when you're at home and not in the office. Um, And the fact that we can flex around that stuff means we can also flex around disabilities. We can flex around doctor appointments. We can flex around... Um, I'm not feeling so great today. Um, there's a lot more awareness of mental health and the way that that's impacting and things. And of course, with disability, quite often comes mental health challenges as well, because quite often you're in pain or you're frustrated or you're just having a brain fog day, you know. And I, I think there's just a lot more flexibility around that stuff that people are more appreciative of um, because of the pandemic and the different situations that people have had to work in. That greater flexibility is a big benefit coming from that. And is there an expectation within the BBC that that those options will continue, that flexibility will remain? Definitely. And not just yeah. within the BBC. Um, oh, yeah. I've talked with different people in different companies and people that I know elsewhere. Um, and those same expectations are coming elsewhere as well, not just at the BBC. Um, obviously, for the BBC, there are some people who do jobs that, that can't flex in quite that way. <laughs> Um, you know, because they're the people making sure that the stuff gets broadcast at a particular time and, and that kind of thing. Um, but then the rest of us are working from home to make sure that they can do their job that requires them to be at a particular place at a particular time. So, mm-hmm. um, But yes, I think I think a lot of companies who are doing office-based work um, are going to have workforces that in future are doing a large amount of that work from home and, and being very flexible around that. In terms yeah, Microsoft. Of our, I think last week st- started a soft return to work. They anticipate by the end of the year they'll have 40% of staff mm-hmm. back at work. Obviously, it's a slightly different situation over there with regards to COVID. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a ghost town at the moment, apparently. Nobody has <laughs> taken them up on the option. But there definitely will be people that are yeah. feeling the lack of support, you know, if you have a particular impairment maybe or, you know, need for social interaction and that sort of thing so yeah IRL Mm -hmm. is going to be important for a lot of people going forward as well yeah definitely it it, it is challenging because I think it it throws up a whole bunch of things that people wouldn't normally think about as being impairment or disability as well and the pandemic's done that as well but it's also I think underlined that that actually the things that would benefit people who have disabilities actually really benefit a whole bunch of other people as well for different reasons you know, and if you put that flexibility in, it benefits everybody. It's like um, improving paternity leave, you know, just actually made that flex a whole lot better for everybody. Mm-hmm. I know so many people where the mother and the father have shared those first few months um, so that the mother wasn't being out of work for such a long period of time and the father had more time at home with his child. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, you know, they would maybe flex the time so they were doing a few days each that kind of thing or a week on week off type arrangement I've known parents to do that and those those same flexibilities that allow people to work from home or work from the office or work you know from the doctor's surgery whatever it is that they need to do um those same kind of flexibilities benefit a lot more people um 
are you aware of and, and prove that point that we can still work in that way <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean it's always been i think a, a more mature approach to you know catering for people's needs because that's how you get the best out of people if you let them perform at their best by you know accommodating reasonable um small adjustments in most cases so yeah, yeah. has the bee um adopted any new technologies as a result of home working and are you aware of the you know how they would mandate accessibility in the choices that they made there um i know that when they first kind of flipped over to the home working um the kind of it support department had a huge job on their hands to to help everybody get up to speed to be able to work from home um they have they had some things that were already coming into place, um, but those have had to speed up because of the pandemic. So things that were already kind of planned for um, had to happen a lot faster. Um, so, you know, we, ha we have um, better ways of connecting into the, the kind of work network um, from home than we did before. Um, you know, we're using things like Zoom regularly, which we were using already. Um, mm. uh, and messaging systems and that kind of thing so so yes a little bit um but i think most of them were already planned already um because we were um the bbc isn't just as you'll be aware but not everybody is aware the bbc is not just in one place you know the bbc is in lots of different places um and i know myself that you know i for a long time as as, as part of my work have supported our champions network um and i have visited people in Bristol, in Cardiff, in Belfast, in Scotland, in Birmingham, in London, as well as in Salford, where I'm based, um, you know, and they're just our kind of main centres. I've even had a conversation with someone in Africa so, <laughs> who became a champion, um, yeah. you know, from one of our Africa offices. And, you know, we have um, because of partly because of BBC News. Um, the BBC has a lot of different offices all over the country um, and, and around the world. And so that kind of remote working was already a little bit of what we did already. And I think it just ramped up a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So we talked a little bit earlier about you know new technologies. Um, I have to ask you about Chrome and the auto captions that are now available on any video that you play. Um, that's obviously going to have uh, an impact within the BBC or that you have a, an opinion on it. What are you thinking about, you know, advancements like this, which have, you know, potentially great benefits, but also some downsides as well. And what other emerging technologies are you, you know, seeing around the corner or are particularly excited about? Um, it's interesting, the auto captions and that kind of um, speech to text translation, um, it does offer up um, kind of value perhaps where it hasn't been before. So to be able to have live transcription uh, within a Zoom setting, for instance, um, is absolutely here. brilliant without having to employ a captioner. Judith, you're doing an absolutely brilliant job, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, it means that in your kind of day-to-day -day work meetings where you're not necessarily going to pay out for somebody to come and do the captioning, which will be a lot better, mm -hmm. but it just means that it, where where you wouldn't have had that accessibility before you've got something that's getting you part way there um and actually it is really quite impressive these days what it can do um it's never going to be 100 accurate it's not going to be great with accents like mine 
<laughs> it's not going to be great if there are multiple overlaid voices. It, it will struggle if there's background sounds, it will struggle. Um, but it's a bit better than nothing. Not always brilliant, but it's a bit better than nothing. And I think it, it's definitely an interesting area in seeing where, it, where it's coming. Um, I'm aware that our professional subtitlers are already and have been using that kind of technology for quite some time just to help out where it can. Um, it does have to be reasonably good to be worth using. I, I've done a little bit of subtitling myself, and if it doesn't do it well, it actually takes longer to do the corrections than just to yep. do the subtitles yourself. Um, so it, it's not 100% there yet, but it is definitely better than nothing. Um then there are some definitely some interesting technologies around the corner. We've been paying attention to voiced uh, technologies, you know, the, the um, conversational devices and chatbots and um, talking technologies. Uh, that's a really interesting area, definitely um, a platform uh, that, it, that is accelerating very fast. Um, so being able to talk to uh, whatever technology while you're driving down the road you know, to get, take phone calls or send messages or um, change directions on your map, that kind of thing, without having to use your hands, you know, to just do it conversationally. That kind of thing is really powerful um, for people who struggle to read um, or maybe don't have sight. Um, I, I'm aware of your other podcast. Um, <laughs> you it, mean it's dot, great dot. technology, right? <laughs> <laughs> the daily podcast all about the yeah. echo. I'm not going to say her name. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And the BBC has a brilliant presence on the Echo, the A-Lady. Yeah. Um, we're, we're paying attention to that technology, but we're also paying attention to where the barriers are. What are, what are the things that are making that actually more difficult than it should be? Yep. Um, I'm aware for quite a while that actually signing on to the app wasn't the most accessible experience. <laughs> um, even though the, once you got in there, it was good. Yep. Actually getting there was hard. So little things like that, where are the barriers? Um, and my colleague Jamie's been doing some great work looking at VR and virtual reality and augmented reality and having a look at where the barriers are with that. What are the things that people need to be thinking about? We're not coming up with the solutions, but, but we're quite happy to kind of have that research piece that he's done and share that out with other people uh, around the barriers. Um, but it, put... It's really interesting. It's great that disabled people, virtual reality, augmented reality can take um, people with physical disabilities somewhere where they couldn't go otherwise absolutely i would love for us to talk some more about that but we maybe we could put that link in the show notes <laughs> I think on so. The, yeah so we've got a couple of minutes left just to finish off then we always finish off by asking you the question that was put by the previous speaker and um caroline casey of the valuable 500 is all about you know getting disability recognized as part of the diversity festival that's going on at the moment um which is fantastic so the beeb she says what plans do you have to better integrate integrate the representation of disabled people both in front of and behind the camera i don't know if you are in a position to answer that but <laughs> well i'm aware of some things that the bbc are doing and they're doing some fantastic work so is caroline for that matter valuable 500 is awesome project and um, i've been following what she's been doing for a couple of years now and it's mm -hmm. really exciting um, but yeah, the BBC, um, I guess last year started a kind of a creativity and diversity and inclusion, hold on, diversity and inclusion strategy. Mm. Um, and they, they brought on uh, June Sarkong um, as a kind of a head of uh, diversity and inclusion. Um, and she's just been making great strides and, and doing some fantastic work. So there's a whole kind of creative diversity strategy. 
Um, there's some budget commitments, uh, not only for what's happening in front of the camera, in other words, the things that the audience watch or listen to, um, but also that budget is, is a, impacting on who's behind the scenes, you know, who's producing it, who's writing it, who's working on it as the camera person or the recording artists, that kind of thing. So that there is commitment on both sides of the camera, so to speak. Um, and they're putting together great events that are, I think um, CDX was a conference that they did last year. Um, and also uh, we have a kind of a head of disability in, in terms of staffing, um, who's been doing some great kind of reframing disability uh, strategy, strategy work um, that includes things like passports, they're called passports, disability passports, um, that are kind of a, what you need in terms of adjustments so that it's easier for you to move team. And if you're yeah, working in production- Every single time. Yep. Yeah, if you're working in production, that could be every three months. So it's just a thing that can follow you around that lets a new manager know what adjustments you need and, and how to go about doing that um, and get them in touch with the right people to make those adjustments possible. So it, there's some great things happening uh, in, in both directions. So the BBC are definitely uh, accelerating in that area yep. at the moment. <laughs> Always have been, you know, in the van, definitely. So final question to well or comment to pass on to next month's guests so we actually have two guests next month we have jenison assumption and joe mm -hmm. devon they're the co-founders of guard g-a-a-d the global accessibility awareness day that will be next month so um what would you like to pass on to them um first up uh well done guys it's an absolutely fantastic movement we've benefited so much from it the last few years um and look forward to doing so again um but I'd love to know what their thoughts around are, um, how they're feeling about kind of conferences. You know, the past year, all of that has happened online. And how do they feel that that's going to impact on things going forward? Um, will things stay online? Will they go hybrid? How do they think that's going to work? Um, it's kind of an interesting thing because a lot of the uh, GAAD stuff, the global awareness stuff, has happened online, not only in person. Um, so I think they have quite a good, unique point of view on that one. <laughs> wow, brilliant question. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's a hot topic. I'm going to pass back to Annie after saying thank you so much, Emma. Brilliant. We could have talked thank for another half an hour. What a shame. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Back to Annie. Cheers. So thank you so much, Emma and Robin. Um, there, we've had loads of questions come through, which we hope to on, answer online um, in the next few days, and you'll receive an email with a link to access the, the answers. Um, finally, just a bit more um, information that might be of interest for you. Um, we also run online training sessions on digital accessibility, and you can find out more at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash training. And you can use an exclusive 10% off discount code, um, which is available to registrants of our webinars, which is AbilityNet Webinar 1010. And training courses are available for various roles, um, including coming up later on this week, back by uh, popular demand. On Thursday, the 8th of April, we have um, how to create accessible documents and presentations. And then on the 14th of April, PDF accessibility. Then on the 22nd and the 29th of April, we have our two accessibility for developers courses. And then um, you can also sign up for our newsletter for the latest announcements about digital accessibility. Um, visit our YouTube channel, download our podcast, 
And we also have a suite of accessibility services to suit all, site, all types of organizations. And then finally, just don't forget about our next webinars, which are available at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash webinars. Um, we have our latest higher education and public sector update next Tuesday, the 13th of April, um, when we're joined by um, the University of Derby to talk about promoting accessibility to staff. And then on the 4th of May, as Robin mentioned, we have our next Accessibility Insights session um, focusing on Global Accessibility Awareness Day. So um, that's it from me. So thank you, Emma, again, and Robin and everyone that's joined us. And do please complete the feedback form that you'll be directed to at the end of the webinar. And we'll be in touch with you soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>